Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast. As we wrap up week eight, move ahead to week nine and do it with the trade deadline in mind and what a trade deadline it was, which we will get to with my friend and colleague, Daniel Dopp. But we also will be joined today by the offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans, Bobby Slowick. He spent six years as a coach with the 49ers, working his way up the coaching ladder. This past offseason, he followed D'Amico Ryans from San Francisco to Houston to become the Texans' offensive coordinator, where he's worked closely with number 2 overall pick and maybe the favorite for the Offensive Rookie of the Year, C.J. Stroud. But first, before we get to Bobby Slowick, the co-host of the Fantasy-Focused Podcast, my friend, my colleague, Daniel Dopp, and the Weekly Six-Pack. All right, Adam Schefter, first topic for our six-pack today. How do we not talk about the trade deadline? We had a bunch of move happen on Tuesday, not just Tuesday, but even the weekend leading into the trade deadline. I feel like we're seeing more trades happen here in the NFL than I remember seeing in recent memory. Well, what's going on here is that everybody across the league has seen that these young, aggressive, bold general managers who are daring make moves and win. And so everybody in a copycat league wants to make moves and win. And what happens On Tuesday, the day of the NFL trade deadline, there were eight trades, the second most trades on any day in season since 1990. Wow. So we're talking about 33 years. That was the second busiest day for trades. And I don't think there was any bigger moves than the ones that Washington made. Washington trades Montez Sweat to the Chicago Bears for a second-round draft pick. Yep. It trades Chase Young to the 49ers. For a third-round draft pick, they get back a two and a three. But can you imagine what it would be like to be Ron Rivera, who's fighting to keep his job, knowing that you have to go in front of your team, you just traded two of your great foundational defensive linemen, and now you're going to go try to win a game against the New England Patriots and try to make a playoff run at three and five when you know that the organization has begun building for the future. On the other hand, you got the 49ers trading for Chase Young, which we'll get to. There were a number of moves, and what's also interesting is all the moves that weren't made, right? Devontae Adams, someone told me on Tuesday morning, not a chance in hell he's going to be traded. (laughs) And hell was right. He wasn't traded. He was not moved. He stays with the Raiders. No Saquon Barkley, no Derrick Henry, no Jerry Judy, no Cortland Sutton, no Patrick Sertan. Over and over, a lot of moves that weren't made. So for all the moves that weren't made, and there were a ton, and it gets more and more aggressive every year, and every year, I hear general managers, front office executives, personnel men say, eh, it's going to be a little quieter. Yeah, you know right. what? It doesn't ever turn out to be the case anymore because yeah. the cat is out of the bag. Teams love making these moves. And I think that the trade deadline like this is here to stay. And we're going to see activity like this every year going forward. I love this. I love being able to have this kind of movement in the NFL, Adam. It's fun being able to see people move teams and have have these teams try to load up as they are trying to make their way to the postseason. And you mentioned it. Let's move on to topic number two because the San Francisco 49ers, they're not the only team, but they absolutely went out and got Chase Young to put on the other side of Nick Bosa. Just one of the moves that you see one of these top teams making as they're trying to make their way late into the season. Talk to me about some of these moves that these teams made that's going to help them make their way deep into the playoff run. Well, Daniel, first of all, just take a look at the 49ers defensive line right now. I Nick, don't want to, Adam. I, I, I'm in the, my team is in the Lions NFC. Fan, you don't I, want I don't want to see this. Right. Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, Drake Jackson, Randy Gregory, oh Javon Kinlaw. 
they're just going to rotate one lineman after another as the season goes on. That's insane. That is a loaded defensive front. They're going to keep guys fresh. They're going to rotate them in, and they should generate a ton of pressure up front, which they haven't been doing recently, by the way. So they felt like they needed a little bit of an injection of youth and energy here, and so they go out and trade for Chase Young to match with those guys. Two Ohio State defensive ends. I don't like to admit that, yeah. but Chase Young <laughs> and Nick Bosa yeah. manning the edge for the 49ers, pretty good, you got to say. And what's interesting also is that they add him after the Seahawks trade a second and fifth round pick for Leonard Williams. Yep. And they bolster their defensive line. So we got a little bit of an arms race going in the NFC West, where, by the way, we should point out that the Seattle Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West. Mm-hmm. They have overtaken the 49ers, who are now on their bye week. And so the Seahawks made a big, aggressive push. The Niners made a big, aggressive push. And you know who wasn't happy about those teams making those big, aggressive pushes? Me as the Detroit Lions fan. Detroit Lions and Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> yeah. They could not have been happy about seeing two of the teams in the NFC, who they're going to be vying with at the end of the year, get better on trade deadline day. Yeah, that is going to be really tough, and obviously it makes their defenses look so good, Adam. All right, topic number three for the six-pack. Arizona Cardinals, we've been getting word. Kyler Murray getting close to returning for this team. We'll see what that means once he's officially back. But we did see that they traded Joshua Dobbs away from this team to the Minnesota Vikings. What are the Cardinals going to do at quarterback now, Adam? Well, I think what they're doing, Daniel, is they're beginning to set their sights, as much as they will admit it, on the 2024 draft. Wow. Because if the draft were today, the Arizona Cardinals would have the number one overall pick. Do you think they would move on from Kyler Murray in the same kind of way they did with Josh Rosen? If you have the number one overall pick in a draft with Caleb Williams and Drake May... If those guys tell you that they are going to play with you, and by the way, we're living in a different day and age where there's yes, NIL money, yep. and they don't have to come out, and if they see that Arizona or whoever has the first pick and they don't like that situation, they don't have to come out. Yeah. They don't have to start the clock running on their contractual career in the NFL. They could wait. They could put it off another year. So that is the new dynamic I think we're looking at in the college game with the NIL money filtering in. But... Right now, Arizona's got the number one pick. And if you got the number one pick in a draft that most personnel men agree has two elite blue-chip quarterback prospects, yep. you are sitting in a great position. And they're not going to do what they can to hold on to that position. But i got to tell you something. If I'm in the front office, if I'm in the ownership group of that team, I want my team to be competitive, but I want it to lose uh-huh. as much as possible. Yep. I want Caleb Williams or Drake May in the desert with me going forward. And so they trade Josh Dobbs to Minnesota, basically just give him away for a late-round pick swap. And it looks like when they're in Cleveland this Sunday, it sounds like they're going to start the rookie, Clayton Toon, against the Browns' defense. And at some point, Kyler Murray will be ready, and I think he'll probably wind up making his debut, if I had to guess, next week at home. Week 10. Against Atlanta. Okay. November 12th, if I'm not mistaken, on the date. So it looks like Clayton Toon this week, maybe Kyler Murray next week, and let's get ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. So with, with what you're saying, do you think then Kyler Murray is going to be like a showcase for the rest of the NFL to see as a part of a trade if they're going to make that move? I don't know, and I don't know that they know because Jonathan Cannon has never coached Kyler Murray before. Monty Ostenfort, the general manager, has never been the general manager of a team where Kyler Murray is the quarterback. They didn't draft Kyler. They didn't trade sure. Kyler. They don't have any connection or obligation to Kyler. They've been very supportive of him publicly. But let's see how 
it unfolds. And, by the way, if he plays well, well, maybe he becomes a trade chip yeah. to another team that does need a quarterback that says, you know what, Kyler Murray is somebody that we'd prefer over J.J. McCarthy or Michael Penix or whatever quarterback there is at the college level that that team could draft. So it gets interesting in Arizona with the Cardinals holding two number one picks, theirs and the Texans, and that number one pick in the draft right now scheduled to be theirs. Wow. Wow. A lot ahead for the Arizona Cardinals figuring out what they do with the quarterback situation. Knowing, though, and we're going to move ahead to topic number four, they did move Joshua Dobbs to the Minnesota Vikings. Adam, I think Vikings fans and a lot of the other just NFL fans around around this sport felt like when Kirk Cousins went down, Vikings season's over. They were without Justin Jefferson. They're trying to figure out what's going to happen. Vikings came back, started out 0-3, and they have been fighting to be a part of this NFC North race, understanding they're getting Joshua Dobbs back, and there's still a question mark as to when Justin Jefferson will return, eligible to return, I believe, after next week. But this is the question, Adam. What do you do if you're a 23-year-old superstar wide receiver in Justin Jefferson trying to secure the bag for next year? Well, here's the deal. When Kirk Cousins went down, This reminded me of what the Vikings went through the summer that Teddy Bridgewater was their starting quarterback. And right before Labor Day weekend on the final cutdown day, he goes down just fading back to drop or dropping back to throw a pass. Practice, untouched, tears up his knee. And they have to go and trade for Sam Bradford. This time, Sam Bradford wasn't walking through the door. So they traded for Josh Dobbs. But when you lose a quarterback like that, all you have to do is look east to the New York Jets and see what they went through. When you lose somebody like that, it's a gut punch to the entire organization. Yeah. It impacts everybody. It's a brutal blow to Kirk Cousins, who's on an expiring contract and scheduled to be a free agent. It's a brutal blow to a Vikings team that had reeled off, I think, three straight wins and was 4-4 four and four and poised to be making a playoff push. It's a brutal blow to Justin Jefferson, who wants to get a new contract and obviously would like to come back for a team that's competitive. And can this team be competitive with Jalen Hall, play, Jaron Hall playing quarterback, or Josh Dobbs playing quarterback, or Nick Mullins playing quarterback? Whoever plays quarterback and it looks like Jaron Hall on Sunday, that's not as appealing and as enticing no, it's as not. Kirk Cousins. Nope. So everything, it's a whole new reset in Minnesota. And it's an awful thing emotionally. For the organization to get past. It's a terrible thing for Kirk Cousins physically mm-hmm. to get past. And it just changes the outlook short and long term of the entire organization going forward. Yeah, that's tough. We talked about this Justin Jefferson news even before the season, making sure that we figured out how that was going to work out. But this is tough. Adam, this is one of those things where when you've got that superstar wide receiver, that kid that can be a part of your franchise for a long time, I'm sure they want to find a way to lock him up. Having a quarterback would go a long way to make that happen. Let's move ahead and talk about topic number five. Without Justin Jefferson out there the last couple weeks, Adam, it has been the Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown show. These two wide receivers have looked so unbelievably good. Tyreek Hill pushing for 2,000 yards this year. A.J. Brown setting records left and right. The dude looks unreal. Daniel, you're a big Lions fan, right? Huge Lions fan. You remember the year when Calvin Johnson set the NFL single-season record with 1,964 64. receiving yards? Of you course I did. Yeah, oh, yeah. you? Yeah, absolutely. What do you remember about that? I remember that I Calvin Johnson only had four touchdowns that year. I remember yeah. that. That was really frustrating. And I remember that the Detroit Lions were not good that year. Yeah, they were throwing the ball. But you remember how impressive and incredible he was that year, right? Oh, he was unreal. Right. Okay, 1,964 yards he had that year. Right now, right now, 
A.J. Brown is on pace for 1,995 yards. Stop it. To beat Calvin Johnson's single-season record, playing for a winning team that runs the ball when they're holding the lead. As well as almost any team, A.J. Yeah. Brown is on pace to beat that record by, what is it, 31 yards. And do you know how many yards right now Tyreek Hill is on pace for this year? No, I would love to find out. 2,155. Stop. That's, that's Madden numbers. That's video game numbers, Adam. He is on pace to beat that record by 191 yards right now. Stop. So we have not just one, but we have two receivers on pace to beat your guy for the single season receiving yardage record in NFL history. That tells you how good and impressive both Tyree Kill and A.J. Brown have been this season. They've been off the charts, and now they get a chance to continue it this week. And Tyree Kill gets to do it in Germany this week against the Chiefs. That's right. Early Sunday morning. So I don't know what the German word is for touchdown or, or, or going off on the secondary, but I better learn those words because there's a good chance Tyreek Hill will be doing that against his former Kansas City Chiefs team. Oh, it's the revenge narrative. Oh, you got to love these yeah. revenge games, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, these two wide receivers couldn't be more different from each other either. A.J. Brown looks like a tight end. He's huge. He's thick. He's physical. Tyreek Hill is just he's short. He's fast. He's quick. He does everything. These are two different wide receivers that are both unbelievably productive with what they're doing right now. All right, Adam, six, topic number six for the six-pack. I want to dive into something here because I think you had a few things that I, I wanted to address. You put out a report last week, okay? You talked about how Jalen Ramsey, who was supposed to be returning for the Miami Dolphins, he was going to be able to come back. You said on Friday, mm. looks like he is going to play this week. Mm-hmm. And then... There were a bunch of news organizations, the New York Post, you look at Sports Illustrated, you see USA Today, a bunch of people went out and talked about how this was news to me because they picked up this report from Jalen Ramsey. And so I'm looking at an article here from Awful Announcing. It was written by Brendan Clean. Well, Brandon Clean wrote a couple of things. He said, Jalen Ramsey refutes Adam Schefter on this return to injury. This is news to me. And Brandon goes in and talks about a couple of different things about how in today's media, it's more important for insiders to be first Mm. than to be right. Mm. So, you know, Adam, just as your friend, someone I've loved working with you. I've had a really great time not only doing this podcast, but I was your producer for a long time. We have a great relationship. I want to know when you wrote this and you saw all these things coming out. How do you feel as the guy that had this report? Seems like people were taking shots at you. Well, yeah, they were, I guess. I guess they were. And comes with the territory, I guess. And what happened was Thursday night, I'm sitting down to watch the game. Just get a text, Jalen Ramsey's playing. So I check with a couple more people. Sounds like Jalen Ramsey's playing. Didn't think anything else. Wasn't trying to be first in the world. <laughs> Wanted to be right, yep. despite what was being written in the media. And lo and behold, I put it out. And I'm sitting on the couch, getting ready for kickoff on Thursday night to listen to Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit. And I see that Jalen Ramsey shoots me a DM. Oh, all right. He's, he, he's, he's in my DMs. Is that, how, is that what we're supposed I to say? I think that's how we say it. Yeah. That, what, what, what was he like in your DMs? That, that's how I say it. He says, Thursday, 823, your source must know something I don't. So I responded, well, I guess we're about to find out. But in the event I am right, Jalen, welcome back. That's a hell of a recovery. Look forward to seeing you back on the field. And good luck on having a great season. And he wrote, yes, we will. LOL. Time to call coach, I guess. And so <laughs> then I noticed after I put that down, after that, that little exchange on Twitter, he had basically 
I guess he ripped me, which is why all these news organizations wrote about wrote it. Wrote about it, yeah. Which I don't think anybody wrote about it on Sunday once he did play, did they? Oh, did they come back and say, no, oh, let's I thought Adam was All right. those people that wrote that. <laughs> all those people. And there were a bunch of them because it was brought to my attention. I don't remember many follow-ups to those stories that they put out on Thursday night mm. about how I rushed to be first. I rushed to be first. Sounds like you rushed to be right, Adam. I rushed to put out interesting information about a Pro Bowl cornerback who was going to be back on Sunday who wound up having an interception that helped turn the game because yes. people want to know if Jalen Ramsey wants to play. Of course they do. I was just doing my job. I wasn't trying to be first or rushing or anything like that, Daniel. And I had my Thursday night disrupted by all this unwanted and unneeded attention. But this is something that I've been through many times, many times. 34 years in this business – you know how many of these situations I've been in? I can't imagine. Oh, my God. I was thinking of it that night. I was thinking of it that night. We could go through the list. There are a lot of them. And so this was another one. I never like when it happens. I don't like to be involved in this ever. It's not fun. It disrupted my viewing of that game. It just got the weekend off to a little bit of a bumpy, rocky start. But the end of the story is, as we said, Jalen Ramsey played. Yes, he did. And uh, I, have not pretty seen, well. I have not seen the amount of energy devoted Thursday night that these news outlets had on Sunday once he did play. But that's okay. That's weird. Social media works that way, huh? Yeah, there is a little point in that right There's there. A- <laughs> that's how the media works. We're in the media, <laughs> and that's how the media works. All right, it's time to go on to this week's guest, a guy who has a real chance to be a head coach, if not this season then certainly in the near future. He's done a great job working with the Houston Texans. He grew up in Washington under Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan. I always knew his dad. Uh, I knew of Bobby Slowick, the now Texans offense corner. Never had the chance, I don't believe, to sit down and talk with him the way we did last week. But he was kind enough to give us some time, and we had a chance to talk to the Texans offensive coordinator and future head coach Bobby this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slowick. Now, you got to tell me this. Have we actually met or spoken before? One time. One time. And it was like way back. It was in Denver. I think, I, I mean, I was young. I was like in college. It was at a, you were at a game. 
in passing. That was it. Because <laughs> I've known your family for a long time. I've known your dad. Yeah. I've known about you. And I said, when I was putting in the request to get you to do this podcast, I'm like, I don't know that I've ever spoken with Bobby, which is very weird to me that we have all these mutual relationships, acquaintances, and we've never spoken before at length other than the one encounter that you remember that I didn't. Yeah. This is time number two, a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> you were with Washington when I came and spoke to the team, correct? Yep. That's right. That's right. So that did I say anything like that did I say anything that day that stayed with you, Bobby, that helped you propel you along your way, along your coaching career? No. Come on. There there there's a lot of stuff from there that uh I don't necessarily recall. <laughs> it was a forgettable chapter of your professional <laughs> career, correct? Uh parts. Not there were some really good parts. Yeah. Really good parts for sure. Well, congratulations on this year. I'm curious to know from your assessment how you feel about the way the season's gone so far. Uh, you know, it's been it's been a lot of fun, you know, just kind of seeing how the team grows, uh, not just offensively, but the defense, special teams, the whole the whole group, how they've changed, uh, how they play, how they change the mindset, how they approach the weeks. And, um, you know, just kind of seeing young guys take the field and develop, seeing guys that have been here before uh, kind of adapt to how we want to do things in our scheme. And, and they've all bought in. They've been all in. Um, D'Amico has been awesome. All the coaches and the coaching staff have, have been awesome. So it's, it's just been really enjoyable and really fun. You bring up D'Amico, and you and he arrived in San Francisco at the same time in 2017. You both held the position of defensive quality control coaches. What was that like, and what were your roles that you had during that time that led you to where he's now the head coach of the Houston Texans, and he brings you as his offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans? Yeah, it was pretty wild. I mean, uh, I had coached defense at that point for years, and uh, it was a new scheme for me, though. Um, and then D'Amico obviously had played, uh, for a long time, played really yeah. well, but had never really been involved in the, in the coaching side of it. So it was a little, it was new for him in some aspects, learning what's different from playing when, once you become a coach. And, and it was new for me learning a new scheme and, and with a new defensive, uh, staff and Robert Sala. Um, and wow. it was just like endless conversations about, I mean, I mean, all kinds of stuff. You want to talk about chalk talk. It was pretty cool. It was a lot like the staff in Washington. You know, I mean, we had a lot of young guys that were really smart, really into football. Uh, and me and D'Amico, when we first got to San Francisco, it was, it was a lot of the same. Yeah, you know, I'm mean, just thinking. Endless talks. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking. In Washington, it was you, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel. In San Francisco, it's you, D'Amico, Robert Sala. You've been around some incredible coaching people here as you have grown your own coaching career yourself, Bobby. Yeah, no, a lot of them. I mean, the biggest thing that just stands out with all of them is, is all of them are just hungry. They, everybody just kind of thirsts for knowledge, tries to understand the game as best they can and, and how to help players and put players in positions where they can be successful. And it's like an endless pursuit. Um, and everyone kind of goes about it a different way, which is the other really awesome part about it. You know, you, you see different processes that people go through on how they get to the final answer. Um, but the the tireless amount of work that everyone would put in, in in different ways of trying to come up with new creative ideas to kind of do something brand new or maybe even do something the exact same way we've been doing it that looks different, you know, and it, it was it was endless. It was fun. How much of their influence is on what you call for the Houston Texans today? I'd say a lot. 
you know um i mean i played offense when i when i played football uh but in coaching by and large my background was on defense uh which was awesome to just learn the structures learn what it is i'm looking at and how to scheme things against it and i was over there for a long time it was a lot of fun uh, it's a, it's like a, it's a very passionate side of the ball there's it's a little different than offense uh, as far as, you know, how you have to approach the game. And then when I came over to offense, that kind of sped up the process. But all my foundations of what I believed as far as how I wanted to operate as an offense started with Mike and Kyle Shanahan, but then also branched off to these conversations that I would have through the course of my career with all these different people that you've already named that are that are really good coaches in the NFL right now. You're in Washington in 2011, 12, and 13. How does it happen that you get there? How old are you at that point in time? And what do you remember? Yeah. I I was straight out of college. So I I finished playing. Um, I wasn't going to grow a couple more inches or or gain 15 (laughs) more pounds. So I was like, I don't think this pursuing playing football thing is really the smartest deal for me. And I knew I wanted to, I knew I wanted to be involved. I knew I wanted to coach. My dad coached, you know, a lot of my family coaches and is involved in football. Um, So I knew I wanted to do it, but uh, Mike had just gotten the job in Washington and he, obviously he, he knew of me, but he didn't really know me as far as, uh, being willing to give me a coaching opportunity right out of college, which is completely understandable. So, but he did allow me to kind of do almost what I would call like a year long interview. I came in as a video assistant, um, and I was able to go to all the meetings, offense, defensive meetings, special teams meetings, wherever I wanted to go. I helped the coaches with what they needed with the video stuff. And on that, I just soaked up information. And after that year, he was like, yeah, I want you. Um, and he was going to create an offensive position for me. And then the next, he called me into his office, told me that. And then the next day called me back into his office. I thought I was in trouble. I thought I messed something up. And he was like, ah, I've, I've changed my mind. We have a defensive QC that's leaving. And I think you need to learn that side of the ball first. If you want to be a really good offensive coach, I think that's a smart place for you to go. And then the next year I started on defense. So even back then you wanted to be an offensive coach, even though you started as a defensive quality control coach. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was always, I mean, I've just playing it. It's what I always enjoyed. Um, It was always the fun part of the game. You know, uh, I always wanted to be the guy who had the ball in his hands. And, and I think a lot of offensive coaches kind of have that approach. Um, When you look at the game on, on just, it just, makes it easy to yeah. figure out how to distribute the field and what you want to do. Um, and then once I got to defense, to be fair, I got to, de- I was on defense for probably six months and I had, I had no idea what they were talking about really? when they're, when they're talking about fitting gaps. And I mean, I was a receiver. So you, you get into the run game world on, on how to fit some of these runs. I was, I was lost and my dad's trying to help me and I'm just lost. Um, and then probably after that, when it really started to click, uh, I dove more into the defensive side, and and after a while, I fell in love with that that part of it too. I mean, it's a, it's a very like I I've mentioned passionate, but it's it's like a. I would I would say offense is fairly cerebral, and I would say um, defense is very emotional. You know, and that's a good way of describing a, it. That's a good way of describing it. Yeah, and there's there's a part of that that I really can, can relate to. I think is really I think it's fun. I think it's awesome, and and. They couldn't get me back for about eight years there. They've been trying. And I was like, no, I'm staying here. I I like this. This is a good time. And then after a while, I just couldn't stay away anymore. Did you ever get discouraged in the beginning with all there was to learn 
and all there was that you needed to know that maybe this isn't going to happen for you? Um, I wouldn't say discouraged. I would say more so, you know, I think, I think everybody that gets in the NFL goes through this process, whether you're a coach or a player at some point you get in the NFL and you hit this, you hit this like part of your information intake where you're like, I got this, I got this down. I know it. I know how all this works. And then literally three days later, you realize you don't know anything <laughs> at all. And it takes a long time to just keep grinding through that. So I, I think that's pretty, the more I've been in it, I think that's pretty normal for everybody that, that gets involved. You know, it's amazing about that Washington staff. It came under heavy criticism. People were saying that, you know, Mike was into nepotism and, you know, was unqualified staff. And all it produced was, you know, the offensive coordinator, as you mentioned, was Kyle Shanahan. And the tight ends coach was Sean McVay. And Matt LaFleur was the QB's coach. Mike McDaniel coached the tight ends. You're a defensive quality. Con- so that staff had a little bit of talent on it there, Bobby. Despite oh, yeah. the fact Morris. that it came under yeah. Raheem Morris, another one. Yeah. <laughs> Who else Hightower, am I missing? There are a lot. R- Richard Hightower. There are a lot, man. There, there was a, it was a group. It was a group for sure. And they rang you off. They rang you all off. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's how it goes sometimes. You know, everybody, it's kind of as you go through your journey in the NFL, you know, there's there's always ups and downs. It's so it's so hard in the NFL to win every week. Um, and it, it's never going to be all good. It's never going to be all bad. It's always in a process and a roller coaster to kind of get through it all. So, but yeah, that, that definitely had some ups and some downs in there for sure. By the way, after Mike Shanahan was let go in Washington, you ended up shifting to work with Pro Football Focus for a little bit. I did. What what was that experience like? That was actually, I would say that was one of the more unique experiences I think I I ever possibly could have had because Pro Football Focus at the time was still fairly uh, young in, I think, the public's view. You Mm -hmm. know, like it had just started really growing and branching out. And they had kind of really really just started pushing their grading system. Um, and it, it encapsulated a lot in the grading system, but I don't think at the time it encapsulated everything they wanted it to and thought it could. And I really came on as the first coach that they had hired um, to kind of go through it all. And it, it was it was a really unique process to see how they look at the game and how very different it was from how I looked at the game and how most co- coaches would look at the game. And, and they were willing to soak up a lot of information from me. I was able to learn a lot yeah. from them. So uh, I grew a lot just being able to talk to them and, and kind of learn how they view a lot of this stuff. And how do you go from working at pro football focus back into coaching? How does that happen? Well, I'd always wanted to get back into coaching. It just, uh, when I went to pro football focus at the time, it had, it had worked out where I was, I was struggling to, to get an opportunity somewhere else, even in, college. Wow. So I'd gone to pro football focus to kind of, and they knew to kind of hold me over until I was able to get uh, another coaching job. Then Kyle uh, had a pretty good idea. He was going to get the coaching job in San Francisco and, and called me up and was like, Hey, I heard you wanted to get back into coaching. I didn't, uh, I, I would want you on my staff. I said, that's great. What am I going to, what am I going to do? He's like, I have no idea. I said, okay, <laughs> am I going to be on offense or defense? He's like, I don't know yet. I just want you. I said, oh, then I'm in. And and that's kind of how that went down. So you, so you go out there and what do you wind up doing? Uh, I wound up being a defensive QC, but I did not know that until uh, 
I showed up thinking I was going on a on an interview, which I was. It, w- it was a little bit an interview to start, um, and then kind of branched from there into, you know, the hiring process. Did a tour of the building, did all that. Still didn't know what side of the ball I was going to be on, wow. and then Kyle was swamped uh, with stuff. I didn't even see him the whole time I was there, and then finally, when he was able to break away for a second, he came. We chatted for a little bit, and he brought me to Robert Sala's office, and he said, "Hey, Sala, this is your new QC." You guys are gonna be working tight. So here he wow. is. That was the first time we first time we met. And you had was, never met Robert Sal until Kyle walked you into his office and said, "You guys are working together." Oh yeah, yeah. No, but Kyle's approach to putting coaching staff together, I think, and and the more I was with him, and the more I uh, I learned about how he approaches the whole thing, uh, I think is really it's it's a neat way of going about it. And I th- I think you've seen that from all the coaches that he's produced that are now have grown in the NFL, but he, he wants a certain type of, of person uh, as far as like work ethic mentality, um, how much they love the game, how they want to approach the game. And, and really when you build a collection of, of people like that and it, you just talk ball all the time, which Mm -hmm. is what Kyle does. He creates a culture where everyone is just endlessly talking about football, trying to grow, every day and, and not always being comfortable. Like sometimes that requires being uncomfortable and, and that's where some of the biggest growth comes. Um, then whether you're on offense, you're on defense or you're on special teams, when you learn, you, you get a, a view of the whole thing and, and you can do a lot of different roles in coaching. And that's kind of how we, it looked to me, how we structured the whole staff. And, and where does, where does D'Amico come from in that situation? Same thing. I mean, D'Amico is one of the hungriest guys I've been around, always, always wants to know what's going on on the football field, what the answers are, what people are doing and why they're doing them. Uh, he has a, he had a, it, just an endless thirst of knowledge for a guy who, who played, like I said, played a long time. And mm. you would think feels like he has it down. He, he's, he was kind of always thinking there was something more, there was something more, there was something more. So it was, a, that one was an easy fix right into to kind of the rest of the staff. And as the two of you guys worked together, did it become apparent to you that if he ever left, he would take you with him? Or when did that come to be that you would go with him if he ever became a head coach? Uh, I wouldn't say it was apparent. I would say, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you have brief conversations that you just allude to things that you don't even know if they'll ever happen. But uh, I would say until he hired me, who knows, you know, and I, I've told D'Amico this before. I was like, man, the only way I was getting out of San Francisco is if you took a head job and you were convinced and sold and you wanted me with you, I'm, I'm with you, but I'm not leaving for anyone else, you know? Uh, and that like me and D'Amico just have a really good relationship. We became really good friends. Um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of the same values on and off the field. So, uh, I mean, San Francisco was a phenomenal place for me. It was a great fit. I can't say enough good things about Kyle and what he's built there and what he's done for me and uh, just allowed me to do in, in the NFL. So, Tell me about Houston when you get there and the process leading up to drafting C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, there was a lot of negativity during the draft process about his test scores, about character, all kinds of questions came up. And you guys drafted him number two, never wavered, it seemed. What was that process like and what do you remember about it, Bobby? Yeah, I remember when we first got here, you know, you kind of go through your your inventory of 
your own team first. That's always where you start and you kind of do some personnel evaluations there. You talk to the personnel department, see where they're at on a lot of the guys and just find places, you know, you want to target. And then that goes to free agency, goes to the draft. Uh, and in the draft process, obviously it's, uh, Nick and, and D'Amico do a great job here of, of taking input, listening to everybody, um, you know, valuing everyone's opinion. So you put in a lot of time on, on the quarterbacks, on really any offensive players we felt we needed in specific areas, but quarterbacks clearly coming into this was going to be a big one that needed time devoted towards to it. So spent a lot of time with film. Uh, and then we spent a lot of time on the 30 visits and on, on zooms getting to, and talking to other people that were around the guys, getting a feel for the person and the player. And you start to, you start to be able to visualize and create a plan for if someone was in this building, how do we think we can help them be successful? What are they going to be able to do really well? What maybe is something we need to work on or need to help shore up as we go. And then that kind of, you know, gives you a confidence, uh, confidence level of if they're here or if they're not, I would say here, the, the process was very easy for me because it was, I go through my process. I have my thoughts. Here's what I think have great discussions with the personnel department with Nick and D'Amico. We all get on the same page and we roll into the draft. And I was very easily able to block out all the other stuff that's going on. I would say that probably would not have been as easy if it wasn't for um, 2021 in San Francisco when we kind of went through a similar process oh. as far as quarterbacks with, oh. it, with the, you know, the crew they had there and the evaluation process of all that stuff. And I'm sure you remember, Adam, just that there was endless. I mean, I, I stay away from it as much as I can. And even I'm hearing just endless chatter about, wow, San Francisco is at number three. Who are they taking? Who are these guys going to take? What's going to happen here? And I mean, it's just, it, I probably would have been more difficult for me to avoid it if I hadn't already been through that situation in 2021. So what you learned from going through that in 21 helped you select CJ Stroud in 2023. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say that's very fair. I'd say, you know, it just, it helps you isolate on, you gotta, you gotta trust your process and everything outside of what's being said really doesn't have any bearing on what's going to happen when we get to draft time. You know, I, I wouldn't say it necessarily adjusted anything yeah. player value, like evaluation wise, process wise, as far as um, how you go through evaluating a guy with film and with meeting them in person is more just the, the constant chatter that's outside of, of, of the organization outside of the facility that, that really doesn't necessarily apply to what you guys are thinking and what you're doing. What was it that sold you on CJ during the draft process? Uh, there were a lot of things. There were a lot of things, but I, I would say it was in the course of, you know, our conversation of actually being with him in person. Um, you know, you could see he, he had an edge to him, but he cared a great deal. Like there was nothing more important to him than being the best he could be and making sure that whatever team he went to was going to be the best it possibly could be under CJ Stroud. And that, like I think shows in his work ethic. That's one of the biggest things since he's been here that I think is different than most rookies is, I mean, he has, a, he comes in and he was working already like a professional, which usually takes some time for guys to learn how much time they have to dedicate to mm. film, to studying, to all the things outside of just the building when they're with us. He has that. 
And uh, I, I think a lot of that has to do with his drive and, and how good he wants to be and where he wants to go. And that jumped off when he came on his, on his 30 visit. You know what's interesting? I don't study X's and O's, but I can feel people. And I met him in the hotel in Kansas City at the draft. And we had about a five or 10 minute conversation in the lobby. And I walked away and I said, that kid has got it. And I liked the vibe that he gave off. And I remember saying to him, hey, congratulations. You got drafted in Houston. You just made an additional 8, 9, 10% of your money by saving state. And he was fully aware of everything. He had already charted it out. He knew he was on top of things. And just loved the vibe that that guy gave off right away. And it surprised me because of some of the negative chatter during the draft process. It didn't match up to the person that I met that day in the hotel in Kansas City the morning after you picked him number two. Yeah, he's, he's just, he's a very real person, you know, like there's, there's nothing fake or hidden about him, what, how he thinks, what he feels. It's right there. He has no, he has no if, ands or buts about letting you know exactly what his opinion is. And I mean that in a good way. Um, I mean, he, he doesn't hide things. You don't ever have to worry about um, what's really going on in his head. What's he really thinking? I mean, he's just, he, he's a lot like me in my opinion, in that we were very straightforward. There's, there's, we're very honest. Um, there's not a lot of things hidden from each other. And I think that's really helped us in our relationship and, and just being able to get on the same page so fast. And last thing I'll ask you here, Bobby, and I appreciate your time. What do you have in mind for the rest of this season? Uh, just keep growing for us. I mean, we obviously we've, we've done some good things. We've done some things we, we know we need to clean up. We need to fix uh, but we've got to three and three, which is which is a pretty good spot where we wanted to get to going into the bye week that previous week. So mm-hmm. from here on, we just want to keep building on that, keep growing, uh, keep taking positive steps in, in the right direction and show our style of play when we get on film. And I think uh, the process will help the results take care of itself. Hey, Bobby, I want to thank you very much for taking some time today. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that we had the chance to sit down and talk. I have some stories for you some for some other time that you'll enjoy hearing at I'm various sure. points of your career. I got some I good stories. Wait. I can't yeah, we, wait. We, 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 we've been raised in similar ways. Like I, you know, Mike Shanahan, I feel like helped raise me in football. Oh yeah. No, I, I can relate to that very much. So I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> hey Bobby, thanks so much. Good luck with the rest of the season. Appreciate the time and we'll be in touch. Thanks Adam. Thank you, Bobby. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And there is Bobby Slowick, and we will wish him luck this upcoming week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as he continues to make C.J. Stroud, a leading candidate for the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Daniel, in addition to all the Jalen Ramsey excitement of the past week, we did have one other fun little media interaction. I got an email about a week ago from Andy Gregg at NFL Network, and he was pointing out that NFL Network was celebrating its 20th anniversary this past weekend. Oh, congratulations. And when the NFL Network was celebrating its 20th anniversary, I was hired a few months into their run, and... I think a lot of people don't remember their very first Thursday night game that they broadcast on NFL Network. Do you know who the broadcast crew for that game was? Uh, 20 years ago, 
Yeah. 19, it was January, or no, it was November of 2006, the first ever Thursday night game on NFL Network before they launched the package that eventually went to Amazon. Yep, became the prime package. Okay. Who was the first broadcast crew on NFL Network for the Thursday night package? I couldn't tell you if my life depended on it, Adam. The play-by-play man was none other than the great Brian Gumble. Oh, that's a great one. The color commentator, the analyst, was none other than Chris Collinsworth. Oh, wow. Okay. And the sideline reporter was one Adam Schefter. Shut up. You didn't know that. No, right? you were the first sideline reporter for Thursday Night Football? Correct. And the first ever Thursday Night game that we ever did was Thanksgiving week. Denver Broncos at Kansas City Chiefs. And in the pregame show, I reported that the Broncos were about to bench Jake Plummer to Oof. turn to their rookie first-round draft pick, Jay Cutler. And the Broncos owner, Pat Bowen, showed up in our trucks demanding to speak with me, wanting to know if it was true. And a week later, much like Jalen Ramsey, found out they did bench Jake Plummer <laughs> for Jay Cutler. So you've been getting it right for 20 years is what you're well, saying. Well, NFL Network had me on, and, and I had a great time working there for the four years that I did from 2004 to 2009. So they were going to bring me back to work with the co-sports editor of my college newspaper, Rich Eisen. Sure. They had me on. And the end of it was very unfortunate because at the end, I wanted to stay. Um, we had a disagreement in the contract issue and when i didn't take their offer they basically cleaned out my office and sent me my contents in a couple of boxes oh wow so when they had me on and they asked me to come on i was thrilled and honored to congratulate so many great people who have made that network what it is today they've done such great work starting mm-hmm. with rich eisen and i also started the interview by saying when rich introduced me as i was saying when i was so rudely interrupted almost 15 years ago. It is so great to be on the air with you, Rich. And we got to talk and reminisce about that Thursday night game, the yep. first ever one on NFL Network, and the time that Al Davis called me a, f- a false rumor mongerer when I reported that he was going to fire Art Shell, and he denied it, and they fired Art Shell two weeks at the end of the season. I, I mean, this is too much about this is reporting great. No, history. This is everything it, it, that it, I want, like, Adam. You know, it's not very humble, which is, I don't like. I yeah. don't like. Okay, but these are the stories. This is a me thing. These are the stories I think people want to hear because this is part of your life. I remember sitting, and this is this is nothing for anything, but I remember sitting with you when you got a phone call from an agent and I knew that it was going to be, all right, we had to put the podcast on hold and it said, oh, we got, a, we got a signing that's going on right now. And I saw you get to work. You started working on writing out your tweet. I knew all of what the things were and I was like, I get to watch Adam Schefter behind the scenes do the thing that everybody's excited to see. I think these are the stories that people love to hear because your life is so interesting. Maybe it's boring to you, Adam, yeah. but to us, it's boring to regular people like us. Well, I appreciate that. And at the end of my term at NFL Network, they basically shut down my BlackBerry. They, they, sh- they locked it out. So I lost my phone list and didn't have All any your contacts? All my contacts. So at the end of the interview with Rich Eisen, <laughs> it, was, it was very funny. I said to Rich, I go, Rich, he said, we want to thank you for taking the time today. We really appreciate you joining us. And I said, well, I appreciate you having me. Congratulations to everyone. Is there any way that I could get my BlackBerry, Blackberry book? Back. And he said... <laughs> And he said, That's gone. That's gone. Ah, So is the person who took it, Adam. Your Blackberry's gone, and so is the person who took it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good, man. It was an outstanding line from the great Rich Eisen. Uh, Made me laugh. And so the weekend started with Jalen Ramsey on Thursday, ended with Rich Eisen on Sunday, and then we had the trade deadline on Tuesday. Quite a week, and we'll see how this upcoming week goes as well. All right. I want to thank the Texans offensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick, for his time. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah Abbott. Of course, you, Daniel Dobb, for moderating the six-pack, the weekly six-pack, and steering this conversation to places I didn't intend it to go. 
Please join us again next week. We'll be back in this spot with more information, insights, and interviews. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe. Stay safe.